This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This SFF Audio Podcast has a sponsor. Hotspur Publishing has a new science fiction comedy audiobook on audible.com. Here's a trailer for Raising Mullah, Dr. Dimension, Master of Space-Time by S. Ron Mars and narrated by Fred Bolinsky. Have a listen. Dr. Demetrius Demopoulos and his gang of time-traveling misfits are back, and this time they're trying really hard to keep the universe from going kaput. Their mission is to travel back to 1950s Iran and flush out alien meddlers. Why Iran? Let's just say it's a mystery involving the jingoistic machination of oil-producing nations, a certain foreign intelligence service, and a few interdimensional Sasquatch. Sound familiar? It should. It's based on a true story. Well, most of it, anyway. Dr. Dimension Raising Mullah is written by S. Ron Mars and read by Fred Wolinski. Get it on Audible. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Scott. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a novel by Paul Anderson. Did this win the Hugo Award, a Nebula Award? I had feeling no, some, it didn't. Somebody it, said it, that it on was the nominated back of the book. though, and it lost to A Canticle for Leibowitz. Uh, nominated, okay. Yes. The High Crusade. Um, I read this years ago, and I enjoyed it. And then I read it just this last week, and I enjoyed it again. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty light, but also I was thinking, I was thinking um, this actually would make a really good universe to set a lot of stories in, like especially like a thousand years later. Um, oh, which, yeah. Yeah. which I forgot about that. That's the framing, right? Is there is a mm-hmm. a, a nice little letter at the beginning, or uh, I guess the entire book is framed inside of this, you know, as a manuscript. So. It has that going for it. It, um, it would it would be awesome to have you know a uh, another. I don't like I don't like what I'm suggesting somebody do, but somebody should definitely do this anyways. <laughs> make a universe uh, uh, to uh, as a playground to play in, because um, isn't it awesome to have like all the these and thous in outer space and jousting and uh, all that. Isn't that yeah. just awesome? Yeah, feudal Englishman running running rampant in interstellar space. Right. right. <laughs> How can you say no to this? Yeah, no, it's it pretty hard fantastic. to say no to. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, um, the I, I looked at the Kindle version, uh-huh. and my Kindle version has these appreciations at the beginning. Oh. Um, uh, Diana Paxson, Eric Flint, Greg Bear, David Drake, and Robert Silverberg all wrote a separate appreciation wow and uh at least three of those use the word rollicking that's a good word for it (laughs) it is a good word for it and then the introduction was written by astrid anderson bear who i believe is paul anderson's daughter who married greg bear isn't that right yep that's that's right right. yeah so she called it a rollicking romp of medieval mayhem (laughs) (laughs) I think I think you gotta love it even more, Scott, with all the Catholicism going on. Oh yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I think it's I it's, enjoyed it. It's like uh, sort of a case of conscience uh, where the conscience is a little loose. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I uh, yeah. I I did try to watch that horrible movie I sent you guys. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, oh god! 
I, that was stunningly I bad. I don't want to spend too much time on it just because uh, it is it is not very good. Um, but I did want to point out that there there was a potential there if they had somehow got a script uh, other than just occasionally quoting directly from the book. If they had somehow got a I don't know an editor a cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> a no, I, I agree with you 100% that this could make a really good movie and and not only that it is super entertaining and often laugh out loud funny right but it wasn't what the movie presented it was a really odd choice oh. I, I guess I can kind of see uh, you know it, it was almost a direct connection to the Holy Grail um, and uh, it, it was just very poorly done yeah yeah but but uh, this would make a wonderful movie. It would Apparently, really be George really good. Powell wanted to do a version of it, uh-huh. but never never got around to it. Um, oh man, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, to see a professional like with uh, the. I mean, I think the problem with that terrible nineteen, I think it's ninety four movie, nineteen ninety four film, is that it it just has no budget and no um, no script and no director <laughs> and. Uh, got john reese davies in it though it does have john reese davies um i i think the trailer is actually fairly good um but that's about as good as you could hope that i don't know i, I you could probably cut recut the movie as a really good trailer um <laughs> because it has you know a, a few things i i was upset that the worst Ricks didn't have uh blue skin yeah that was odd um we should have gone for that but uh, speaking of the Holy Grail, did you guys read the follow-up short story called Quest? I did. Or I did too, yeah. Novelette, they called it, but I think it's a short story. It's mm-hmm. like 10 pages or so. Um, I thought that was pretty good. I, I, For some reason, I guess I was sleepy last night when I was reading it. I didn't <laughs> guess the ending. I'm like, wow, this seems to be the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah, that's... It, it, it nicely ties into one line at the end of the High Crusade where they talk, where uh, the Lord talks about, oh yeah, we usually had knights go looking for the Holy Grail, oh, and here's a story where they tried it. And right, it was just a worst curse trick. Yeah, mm. and a good one and, too. And and, and 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 they were just a little too hasty to uh, have people uh, fall for it. It's funny. It's too sloppy. That is uh, that is many years later. The book came out uh, 1960, serialized. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, the module, or no, it's not a module, it's a whole gaming system based on uh, the High Crusade and uh, the short story were bundled in a magazine called Ares in, I think it was 84. So 24 years later, uh, you get a short story that's set in the same universe. I What, 50 or 75 years later? No, it's got to be 50 years later, something like that, right? Because the yeah. characters yeah. are still alive, right? And uh, I think I think it it was pretty good. Uh, it's not like a must read thing. Is that in your ebook, Scott? Um, yeah, it is actually. I had a feeling. I, I think yeah. I saw it like it was bundled together. I was thinking that there was not enough uh, Paul Anderson uh, out as audiobooks, but I think ebooks probably are pretty consistent. He he's a you know he's not my favorite writer, but he wrote a ton of great stuff. Yeah, he sure did. Um, I'm not I'm not super well read, but I've read several of his short fiction, several short fiction pieces. Um, but um, 
I have not read many of his novels at all. I mean, I, I went diving through his novels back when they were paperback reprints of the 80s. So I've read a fair chunk of his stuff. And then that was when I came across the haiku. says, well, this is, wow, this is, this has an upbeat, positive ending. Is this really a Paul Anderson novel? Because a lot of his novels end kind of grim or ambiguous or... Yeah, it's a different or tone. Or sad. It's a very different tone than a lot of the novels... I mean, like you read something like The Broken Sword or Three Hearts and Three Lines, and they're they end in tragedies, like tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's that like that like Norse Scandinavian tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Oh God, why these poor characters in here? Like, oh no, no, the Englishmen go right off and conquer the empire and establish a space civilization. Cool. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. There's a, a Philip K. Dick story with uh, apparently Paul Anderson as the main one of the main characters. Oh, that's neat. He's uh, he's got a lot of short stories that, um, you know, Call Me Joe, for example, is is one of those ones that it's just transformative and it it sort of pioneers new territory in science fiction. Um, if, I guess if people haven't read that, it's it's basically what Avatar is with a few fewer explosions. Yes. Um, um, but really, you know, moving piece and short and, and yeah. so I I don't think that this book is wholly representative of his writing although you it's can not. you can sort of tell that he wrote it though um, if you if you know how to look at it but it, it's it is really fun I I enjoyed uh, yeah. going through it again and um, I think th- it's sort of following in a line of um, it's kind of like in the line with Mark Twain's um, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, in mm-hmm. a certain sense, you know, even though it's kind of uh, it's sort of an inversion of that, because in, instead of going backwards in time and living in this this era where everybody is primitive, um, it's the primitives going into the future in a certain sense, right? Mm. Um, right. Uh, what I like about it so much is that. We know all about the uh, the Englishmen of you know the 1300s or whatever, and so we know how their world is, and we also know how our world is. So we know about you know uh, rocket ships and uh, uh, planets and galaxies and light speed, right? And so when when uh, our characters are <laughs> trying to understand this universe that they've thrown themselves into kind of I guess they have thrown themselves into it It, it, the humor comes in them making kind of awesome mistakes (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 I mean just this vision of um, you know in the 1300s in England this ship landing in a field outside of a castle and then they start shooting, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yep. the, and then the surprise, you know, is that the knights charge instead <laughs> of run away. And once they get inside the ship, there's no defenses. <laughs> oh, I just thought that was so great, you know. And I had not. This is the first time I'd read this book, um, oh, and really? I didn't know that much oh, about boy. it. Yep. Oh, it yeah, Lucky it was the first you. time. Yeah, it was fun. And I just thought, it, fun is the word that I'd use. I, I thought it was great. And I thought that. Um, 
you know, Paul Anderson has a great deal of respect for history, too. Sure. Oh, uh, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, it is fun. It's super entertaining. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on the 1300s or anything like that. But I really appreciated um, a lot of stuff that I do know about, you know, that he threw in there and um, that he seemed to have a good, healthy respect for uh factual history <laughs> even um, if the characters fun. even if the characters uh don't <laughs> yeah exactly right? absolutely, so absolutely. There's a, a great line uh, there's a great scene where um their <laughs> their leader is confronting the enemy leader and they're comparing societies right <laughs> and he says ah oh, i i he names a whole bunch of lands that his king owns right yeah essex and essex and <laughs> Burgundy, and <laughs> amongst many other planets in the universe, and he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is not technically a lie. <laughs> not technically a lie. Wow, our society experimented with space flight. What was it, two thousand five hundred years ago, in a place called Babel of Babel. Oh man, current of humor just goes throughout the entire novel from. From charging knights to okay, so we so to using trebuchets to launch nuclear missiles at a base. It's like, <laughs> like it, it's 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 got audacity and verve to it, and it all just works. And I just I just kept picking out all the all all historicities though. And I mean, this story is almost like a bit about the fall of Rome if you think about it. Oh because yeah, we got it's we, explicitly we, stated right. Yeah, we yeah, we yeah, got a yeah. Roman Empire. We have barbarians from the outside, i.e., the English, who come in and sack Rome and set up a feudal society. He basically this is a story about the creation of the Dark Ages. Right. So, they, in a sense, they've gone back to their own past as well as their own future. It's like, That's right. yeah, we uh, we'll, we'll build up a feudal society because well, the empire is shattered, and what do you need? What do you do? Well, you st- you start setting up a feudal uh, yeah. lords everywhere. And fiefdoms and 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 the church and it's like the nice little details. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, this this worst curse became archbishop. Like really? Okay. <laughs> it's funny. There's uh there's a lot of um, I think sort of practicality in these in these folks that we normally think of as uh sort of stiff, you know, in the in those stiff armor costumes, right? So uh, we can't claim this for Edward because he's not around and we can't find our way home. Uh, so we'll claim it for him anyways. <laughs> and then the, the, the only knight, he has to knight everybody else, right? Uh, and then the only um, religious figure becomes the Pope. Nah, but he's, you know, he's just the, he's the Pope in the Pope's stead, right? They have to yeah. sort of recreate. It's almost... Uh, you could almost see it like as a uh, a complete retelling of of what's going on in Europe uh, uh-huh. just at, at the fall of the Roman Empire, right? There's this local chieftain who whose father was a uh, you know a Roman functionary, and he's got to sort of keep the keep the system going because people gotta get their stuff and. You gotta have some sort of defense system, and and yeah, technically Rome's still there. I mean, it's in enemy hands, <laughs> um, and just the fact that it all starts off with the idea that they're gonna go crusading, right? 
it's yep. it's brilliant. It's uh, it's it's so much like a a past uh, no what's a, it's like pastiche. A, I was gonna say pastiche, but that's not right. The, uh, in the literal sense, it's it's a it's a made up thing, right? We we, <laughs> we have to buy so much uh, of the premise. Like first we have to buy that spaceships visited the Earth, right? Then we have to buy that the the knights in armor and on horseback and little guys with the axes from uh, the days of William the Conqueror, rusty axes, um, could defeat <laughs> advanced alien technology. Then we have to buy that they can navigate this spaceship uh, to another civilization. And then we have to buy that they easily basically knock down that entire civilization um, and replace it with a new system at, at which they are the top. <laughs> It's pretty hard to buy, but because it's yeah. done with so much humor um, and, you know, a light touch with regard to, you know, adding all that histor- historicity to it, I think it it's in, undeniable that it works really well. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. Um, have either of you ever read L. Sprague de Camp's Krishna novels and stories? Mm-mm. No, I They're, have not. They are they are a set of stories where Earth Earth um, after a nuclear war has been basically basically is now ruled by Brazil, so everyone speaks Portuguese. And they go out looking at planets, and they find this they find planets with aliens, and they kind of have a prime directive. And one of the planets they have is Planet Krishna, where there's these humanoid aliens, green skinned with kind of feathery things um, on their eyebrows, and the the stories are about the aliens trying to get technology from from the humans and the humans trying to stop this. So um, um, and I didn't catch this at the time when I first read this novel, but because I hadn't read the Christian stories. But as they're going along, they're, they're talking they're talking about all oh, the plants of the rain. They talk about they talk about because they mentioned earlier novel about oh looking for looking for rescuing princesses, and then later on I said oh we did find princesses these green skinned aliens with with with, with with feathery eyebrows and I thought, oh my God, those are the Christians from the the camp stories because the camp the camp stories predate this novel. It's like mm. he clearly read them and he stuck them into his world. I thought mm. that was so great. That's cute. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, we do. We, they, we get a bunch of different aliens, right? Uh, we, it's sort of passed over with a light touch. Uh, all their conquests, but we do we do get the sense that they're liberating thousands of worlds maybe maybe hundreds rather than thousands but <laughs> it's, yeah. it's incredible you know easy. Um, yeah you know i'm not an expert on the crusades um, by any means but with the title called the high crusade and it taking place in the 1300s the crusades were in my head mm-hmm. and um you know, you, so you guys are talking about it's kind of like the fall of Rome and that. It, to me, it kind of seemed like um, this was, you know, the, there were there were these early Muslim conquests, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of the precursor to the Crusades. You know, they had conquered a whole bunch of um, Christendom, right? Yep. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of that with the Englishmen being the Muslim conquesters. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because the, the Muslims were often outnumbered, but they were, you know, highly motivated and stuff. And, and um, you know, just in piecemeal, little pieces, they, they were just taking things, right? It wasn't one big fell swoop. It was little pieces. 
and eventually, you know, they start to have, you know, a pretty large area. Um, did you guys see that at all? Or am I, am I just reading that into this? But it kind of felt like that these guys were doing the same kind of a thing. And then the, the Wesgor, or however you pronounce that. Wesker. The Wesgor. Weskers, yeah. They became like crusaders, <laughs> you know, trying to get it back. You know, they were, they were doing things that were uh, not unlike the crusades, um, you know, especially that quest story mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Yeah, they they change tactics, and yeah, once they're on the bottom, they start using English style tactics to try to right, right, yeah, to, to defeat defeat the horde of Englishmen that is exactly, now exactly conquered. I, did, I didn't the, well, I didn't think of that during the read. Um, obviously, Saracens are are explicitly mentioned, right? Uh, mm-hmm. At least in the movie, I guess. Yeah, and and the Rome Rome is explicitly mentioned too. So I don't think you guys sure. are incorrect in any way. Um, well, no, that's just what I was thinking about. They hit that point very, very well. That this is an empire. You know, the Ruskerex Empire is is an empire ripe for, for fall. Is the idea right? That that. Well, it just needs the push, and the Englishman right. bring the push. It's almost yeah. like um, what what make what made Alexander the Great so great, right? <laughs> is that he was at, at the right place at the right time with the right guys, and um, it wasn't that hard. Um, what I would say is I was thinking about in the Crusade is uh, it, it, with the title and the Crusading. I I don't know a ton about all the Crusades. Um, I know that there were a lot of them. And uh, some of them were horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh yes. Uh, other ones were insane, um, and and generally they were what we would technically define as a shit show. Um, they are just terrible situations where you know let's go uh, liberate the Holy Land, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then okay, um, well Constant- Constantinople looks like. You know, they're a lot richer than the Holy Land. <laughs> Let's sack Constantinople. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, you know, they just land in all sorts of places and make all sorts of trouble and attack the wrong people who are on your side. Um, you know, and then you have on the other side. Yeah, and they, so, they were, yeah, loose collectives too with uh, oh, yeah. no, no real. Um, I don't know. Some of the crusades were organized, right? And uh, but some of them were not, and the, the people that were there really weren't answering to anybody. They were just. I think, I think organized yeah. is 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 a, a charitable term for it. Yeah, and, and some of them had more mercenary uh, motivations. Like there was a crusade in 1365 where they captured and sacked Alexandria basically for money. And yeah, not to actually liberate the land, but yeah, we'll just we'll just go wreck the city yeah, and get and rich. Alexandria is not the Holy Land, right? So no, it's in Egypt. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they mm-hmm. took the wrong turn. Well, uh, well, well, the term crusade is kind of uh, was kind of a general term. I mean, we, you think of crusades as mainly basically being for the Holy Land, but there were other crusades as well. There's the crusades against the uh, Albanians, which actually get meant the Albanians right. actually get mentioned. In this novel, they, they were they were a uh, splinter sect of Christianity in right. in France that had some really odd beliefs, and the Pope at one point called a crusade against them because right. he considered them heretics. There was also crusades against um, against uh, what we now call pagans in the uh, Baltic area. In the Teutonic Knights of Germany went out go 
crusading against yeah, them to it's, convert it's them. to Russia. It, like, so, like, that's <laughs> not, not, basically they're, they're uh, holy wars, right? They're just yeah. wars. They're jihads in a certain sense. And no, no, jihad's exactly the right term. It's like, it's a Christian jihad is a crusade. Right, except, you know, it's from a thousand years ago. And, um, <laughs> it, 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 they're, their radical extremism combined with mercenary sort of um, <laughs> mercenary avarice. But one of the things I, that's so funny about this book is that it is it, like this. There's this great scene where um, they talk about how he he obviously must speak Latin because he's a demon, and therefore mm. we, we uh, if he refuses to speak Latin, well, we've got lots of sharp knives, haven't we? And they, they could talk about all the tortures they're going to do, right? Um, <laughs> and we're laughing. We're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it has to be laughing, otherwise it's too real, and, and there's no sense that anything is real. In this, uh, it, the, the pastiche word, as in the sense that it's all made up, it's all fake, um, somehow allows us to not be horrified, Right? So when the children go on this crusade, along with the, every peasant, at the entire uh, town from Lincolnshire gets on the spaceship uh, to go, uh, yeah, liberate the Holy Land, uh, liberate France, right? Oh, and pick up, a, a, what was it, a copper gold or two. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a combination of religious duty and, hey, I'm going to make some money. Um, and then they they go off to do this horrible thing, but it ends up being just a humorous, enjoyable romp. Uh, I I think that it's amazing that he can make it uh, so edible, so digestible, <laughs> so enjoyable, and um, and it's really dealing with some really horrible stuff, um, but it does it so nicely and so lightly. Um, even when there's a scene when uh, our narrator, right, he he says, "I will pass over this section uh, rather briefly, as you don't want to." <laughs> and then there's a whole scene where he says, uh, "The next scenes, um, I will have to reconstruct in a certain sense." But he gives you as much detail as he ever does, right? Um, when he's been knocked on the head <laughs> with two iron bars, uh, and unconscious near death for what two weeks and yet he manages to reconstruct every scene so well he well he he says at some point he's making stuff up and he's adding stuff he wasn't there for but he figures fits in with the narrative so the the reliability of some of of the events is can be kind of questionable if you think about he's not he's not deliberately an unreliable narrator he's an unreliable narrator just because of circum- some circumstances yeah i remember at one point he said this is going to be uh uh third hand or whatever yeah <laughs> you know, he actually says that you know this this next thing is third hand mm-hmm. but it's wonderful to be an englishman <laughs> yeah and I, I like this sentence you know to show you some of the humor his declensions are a Atrocious, and what he does to irregular verbs may not be described in gentle company. <laughs> uh, Latin geekery for the win. I love it. Yeah. There's Super. a couple other uh, series and novels that take the idea of of um, civilizations of Earth 
being already among the stars when we get there for one reason or the other. Um, Patricia Kenley Morrison wrote a couple of novels where aliens come take um, basically fifth century Celts into space. And so they go off and form a star empire. So 2000 years later, we go out and it, it, it's a scene kind of reminiscent of, of the, um, the end, the beginning and ending of the high crusade where these humans come along and they start getting broadcasting stuff in, in basically Celtic language. It's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> and yeah, they find out again, yeah, no, these cults have gone to, to uh, the stars 2000 years ago. And no, we have a space empire. So earth has to deal with the fact that there's humans already in space. Um, Catherine Asaro has a bunch of novels where, 2,000 years ago in a different timeline. 2,000 years ago, aliens came, took some Mayan and Central Americans, moved them back in time into another universe and Mm. built a star. And they they built their own star empire. So when the humans come out, oh, there are Mayans in space. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be a popular Mm -hmm. idea. It's like, we'll make make humans the, uh, the aliens in a sense. So that we go out and we don't see blue blue skinned aliens or green skinned aliens will meet different humans and how do we handle that mm. i guess star trek did that a lot too <laughs> they yeah, but, 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 but they generally space did, romans and space nazis yeah, but they generally were all just on one planet i don't think that counts i mean i mean in, in these other novels and here in the high crusade they have whole star systems and empires of their own and also traveler i, I can talk to you about traveler mm-hmm Travel the role-playing game. Is it Traveler or Traveler 3000? Was that a follow-up? Traveler 3000, I think, was was an off-branch. Okay, see, I think that's the one I played. I don't think I ever played regular Traveler. So in in the regular Traveler universe, 60,000 years ago, these insect-like aliens come to Earth and take off humans and also wolves. And they seed humans... Throughout the galaxy, and they also see the wolves in a section after genetically uplifting them. The ancients die off, and one of the hum- one of the human races, because they have lots of the leftover technology behind, form a star empire. So when the humans go to the stars, they run in. They run into a gigantic human star empire. The Volant is like, what the hell? And they don't. The Volant don't know they're from Earth, and so they think these are just another upstart because they found plenty of little planets with humans of all kinds. They're like, oh, these are just another upstart, but there's such a big bureaucracy that the plucky Earth humans knock over that star empire and cause that gigantic dark age, and thousands of years later, there's a second empire and then a third empire, and now people kind of know that humans are originally from Earth, but there's so many planets of humans and star empires that like no one really cares. Okay, humanity is spread among the stars in very different kind of little subspecies. There's humans that are psionic, and there's humans that look almost like elves. And it's like it's a and there are other regular human, the other aliens too. There's the Aslan. The Vargar are the basically wolves, wolves in space. So it's a but it's a big gigantic galaxy full of humans that got transported to the stars and start building uh empires it's it's a really fun setting the only problem is in the original version you could character could die in character creation 
It happens. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you, you roll back. Died yeah, in childbirth. No, no, not childbirth. It's like because before you muster out, you generally go into a military service and – if you roll badly, well, you got you died while you're on a scouting expedition while in the military. Starting new characters, like damn. <laughs> so I sent you uh, uh, the um, the High Crusade. I, I, I want to say RPG. I'm not sure it is an RPG. It's, no, it's, no, it's no, a it's game. A ta- it's a tactical board game. Tactical board game. Okay. Um, you didn't have a chance to play it, I assume. I, I I wouldn't have anybody to play it with. I'd have to, also have to figure out how to print out those little things and Chit, uh, little, chits it, or whatever. It, it, it looks very much like a eighty style Avalon Hill. I think you're right. Board game with with all its flaws and and strengths. I mean, it's interesting. It tries to capture some of what the uh, novel has yeah. and tactics, but it it's also very much those very dry. Very dry up, eighty style war, war game rules. Yeah. It's I mean, not an it, RPG at all, really. I mean, it's got no. it's got named characters, um, but it is it's the it's the I guess the part that is passed over lightly in the uh, novel, right? It's the actual battles uh, between spaceships and guys on the ground and castles and that sort of thing. But it has great cover art. <laughs> yeah. These knights charging into battle against Ruskerix on the ground and then the spaceships flying overhead. Uh, one thing I don't think it's ever mentioned in the book, the one thing I was thinking, like the idea of primitive primitive technology defeating higher technology. We always, okay. uh, we, I guess, the go-to thing in science fiction or fantasy uh, is what the Ewoks against the... The um, Empire, the right? Troopers, yes. Right, yeah. So they've got these massive walkers and laser beams and bikes with no wheels, and they're flying around, and the Ewoks basically easily defeat them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that sense of uh, going into battle against a much, much uh, more powerful force in the, in in that it's almost like um, we get us in. In uh, Return of the Jedi, I guess it's it's like um, they're the uh, the evil empire is the English invaders and the the um, Ewoks or I don't know the American rebels with their buckskins and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know, uh, hiding in the woods and and there's a sense there that it it, it I noticed that that has the same sort of comic light touch that is in this novel. Um, only thing I was thinking is like there might be something to this. You know, one of the one of the cool things is like I used to wonder why all, there was all the different kinds of swords, right? So you start off with these short swords, uh, gladius, right, sort of thing. Then you switch to uh, sort of long swords, and then the long swords become shorter and they are thinner and faster, and eventually people just stop carrying swords, right? Um, and it's to do with the other technology. So I was th- uh, the one thing that I was expecting in this book is that they ride into battle, right, with their shield up, and the laser beams just bounce off because they're reflective or something. Hmm. But I guess the the heraldry on the shields w- would have made that impossible. But, yeah. Um, he manages to say, you know, well, uh, it was very easy for our young men to learn uh, 
to learn all these controls how to run a spaceship even though they don't understand any of the technology because they're well interested in heraldry and that is a very complex right <laughs> like yeah, you know you don't even have to know how to read to be able to learn stuff right so what i appreciated in the novel is that um we always think of people from a, a thousand years ago as being pretty just ignorant of everything and they're ignorant of all the things we're aware of that are since then but they're not ignorant in general their their minds are full of a ton of things uh that we've sort of lost interest in or if we haven't um at least they're they're they have a ton of knowledge about how to live in their world and so mm. converting that i think if if you were a person who wasn't as interested in in history as Paul Anderson is and he's I, I haven't read anything by him that doesn't at least have a little hint of history in it mostly it, it has heavy sort of influence um, I think it wouldn't work very well because we we find these folk incredibly intelligent even though they're kind of ignorant in every normal sense do you agree yeah that's that's interesting I, I like I like that, um, but yeah, they're not—they're oh. not, they're not um, knowledgeable enough to be uh, to have the assumption that they can't win, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, if they had known about these aliens when they landed, they would have probably run away. Right. If they if knew had what they had, them about what's going on. Yeah, you guys uh, are about to be decimated by laser guns. You know, <laughs> instead they're—they're they're like charged. Or you know, nuclear this is what weapons. We do. Right. Right. And not only that, but, you know, you talked about the, the horribleness of what um, these Englishmen wanted to do. Um, the the Wesgor were there to mm. basically kill everyone right. and take over the planet. Right. Yeah, right? Right. So, and the reason that they landed yeah. is they were ignorant, too. They were, uh, well, they were uh, assuming, you know, we've done this a hundred times and uh, clearly these people don't have technology. So rather than do any of this from there, we're going to go ahead and land and take care of it by hand right and they and they do that and they end up you know getting beat <laughs> but but i i found it really plausible it is entertaining and fun but i thought that was pretty cool but because yeah once you get inside that ship you're hand to hand and now uh now they're on an even playing field right but, yeah. right because because it's it's established and said time again that they're they've forgotten the arts of hand-to-hand combat so when yeah, they, they get yeah they haven't needed all they had these laser guns so but when you're inside laser gun range yeah it's like the worst girls don't stand a chance man to man they just get they just get uh, pummeled by uh brutish englishmen um so uh, here i go linking in other books again have uh, either you read the harry turtle dove world war novels no. yeah i read uh i think there's four of them i well it, originally there's four of them i think i read the first two yep so so, so for those who haven't, basically, so aliens photograph Earth back in the 13th century, and they see knights running around. They thought, "Hey, easy pickings. We'll go conquer them in a few hundred years." So they they bring they bring their spaceships to invade Earth, and it's 1942 in the middle of World War II, and they're shocked that in 600 years the humans are already up to tanks and uh, modern equipment, which is only a couple centuries behind their own. So. Their easy conquest doesn't turn out to be so easy, and the humans start copying alien technology real fast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, a, it's a very high crusade sort of thing that 
spoilers that yeah that they eventually get good enough to actually start getting a spaceship of their own to go you know put paid to the aliens while they're still aliens still on the earth it's kind of they've conquered pieces of it but it wasn't the easy conquest they thought oh we'll just conquer these savages don't even have they don't, they're still riding around on horses so I, yeah. I, I, that, was, I was, that was cool you know i, I liked uh, that aspect you know with because the World War was about to break out, wasn't it like 1939 or something? No, it was, like it was 42. It was in the 42. middle. Oh, so we were right in the middle of it, right? Yeah, because they dropped in the middle of Poland. humanity had to come together, right? And so right. you've got all these leaders that are fighting each other, having to figure out how to. Well, we've got to take care of this problem before we take care of the. <laughs> and nobody trusts each other, so yeah. So yeah. We, did we really trust Hitler? But yeah, they're aliens sitting that have dropped it. We have to trust them. Yeah, it, so there's really juicy politics and humans trying to figure out how can we reverse engineer this technology and and uh, catch up to the aliens and the aliens don't have a lot of equipment I mean they're they've got 22nd century bubble tanks and things but there's lots more human stuff and humans around so it's they're they're interesting contrast and comparisons with the high crusade as far as you know numbers versus quality versus what what you don't expect what your uh, opponent's going to do? Mm. I, I'm just looking at the, the those little chits that you you were uh, saying you would have to you know make or print out, and they're just hilarious. It's it's the it's the contrast right between the two <laughs> the two societies. So you have chits for uh, Worsker leader, right? Thrall army, and then. Uh, fort destruction with a little nuclear mushroom cloud over it, right? Yeah. And then uh, ionic storm and heresy. <laughs> heresy. <laughs> of course, heresy. Don't forget about the heresy. <laughs> He's going to play the heresy card, right? So uh, <laughs> it is a, a very odd mix of, of of history, religion, and science, and space battles, and and planetary uh, empires and oh it's it's awesome it's a awesome it is, it is awesome collection awesome. of basically great scenes and jokes that could only be created by this confluence it it, it does so much remind me of uh, a Connecticut Yankee you know with that sense of humor at play at all points with the the contrast between uh, our knowledge of the actual workings of the, well, hopefully, knowledge of the actual workings of the physical universe, and uh, their beliefs about the actual workings of the physical universe, um, but an inversion where the 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 majority are are the are the um, ones <laughs> winning, but also not understanding how they're winning. Um, is it true that in the later part of the novel, I, I was just finished reading the quest uh, book, so I noticed it there that all mm-hmm. the knights are now wearing uh, holsters with with laser guns or pistol yes ray guns yeah that, yeah that because because they there's a mention that it, uh, even uh, even this even the William's son has has a gun in case he actually shoots one of the aliens. Right in the, in the so right. yes, yeah, so, is that so, yeah, in the, that's in the novel as well, right near the yeah, end. No, that's a, that that is a novel. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, even even the English kids have taken to laser guns with right. uh, with panache. So yeah, the English the English learn quickly, <laughs> but they they carry the sword as sort of a symbolic 
symbol of power, right? But they have basically just adapted. And, and, and keeping to the roots, I get the feeling that because we see at the end, like, oh yeah, we didn't know where the the Duke was on his hunting preserve on this whole continent, and he comes back all dressed up. I get the feeling that the Duke wasn't shooting at whatever game with laser guns. I, I, I think they probably still using old style bows and arrows and things, yeah. you know, it's traditional hunting because right. they have horses and everything. So right. I think they've, and taken they never their, give up the horses, do they? they? They never give up the horses. And it's brilliant that Paul Anderson has the entire village going to spaceship. <laughs> so you can have, you can recreate the society because if you just had a bunch of male English knights and peasants go off on the ship, you couldn't build a civilization space, but he has the whole village go. So sure, we can we can reconstruct England in space, and they do. Yeah, but they also I, I there's a great scene near the beginning of the book, um, and it's it's well depicted in one of the illustrations of them loading the ship not just with the people and equipment, but also with the animals. Right? Yep, and right. Yep. So everything is going. The entire village is going. The only thing they're leaving behind is the is the buildings. And the hay that you know, we'll be back in time for the harvest. <laughs> we'll just go off to a nip <laughs> off said for a short, for a short crusade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, there's that, a sentence there. Poor Ansby was left almost deserted, and I often wonder if it still exists. That's uh, th- there's a story to be told there too. But I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. the loading of the ship and seeing, you know, the animals being loaded onto this spaceship. It, it's it's like. Uh, sort of a, a cute Noah's Ark story as well, right? Sure. It's all the people yeah. loading up and 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 they don't know where they're going exactly or they're, you know, they just have to uh, keep up with have faith that they <laughs> they seem to have some sort of uh, they think they this is like a good idea. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a big sub- I it's uh, there's a lot to swallow but it it's it goes down with so much sugar. I I didn't have any problem with it. Um, but yeah, after you after you've loaded the ship with all all the uh, all the worldly goods basically, except for the the buildings and the hay, um, I totally think there's there's a story to be told of like just what happened to this English. You know, if you were a neighboring village and you came villager, you came by to you know to go to market, and everybody's gone. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, all the yeah. cupboards are bare. What happened? <laughs> Where did everybody go? There, there is a version, right? There is a story there. Oh, one hundred percent. There's a story there, and uh, you know, maybe there was some some old man who refused to go. Has uh, a crazy story to tell. Um, it, it's, yeah, it uh, says it says left almost deserted, so somebody stayed. Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that will coot what. Like, I'm not getting on that thing. No, G- giant crazy. metal towers, two thousand feet tall. Oh, he's just crazy. <laughs> Must have been. You know, the that that uh, the leader is crazy. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it was fun. You know, when he's negotiating or uh, with those other. Well, the other at first it's the other Wurzgurgurics, mm-hmm. and then uh, later on it's uh, other races. Yeah. But he was he was definitely clever, but he was nuts. I wanna I wanna go over that first. Um, it's not uh, I don't know. It's a prelude or you know the opening framing and just try and understand what's what what it does because it's easy to miss because you, you 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 read that and then you go into the chapter one chapter two right. Um, in the original uh, 
serialization, it just says one. It doesn't say chapter one. Um, in which case, you could almost take it as, you know, this is a document, uh, not a novel. Right? Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't have... It, there's almost a sense that we could... Um, I just did a story uh, about... Uh, it's called The Green Meadow, an H.P. Lovecraft story, which is, is the most preposterous story ever, right? Which is, mm-hmm. it's about uh, this document that was found inside of a... Well, it's a, a text found inside of a book written in uh, the perfect 2nd century AD Greek. And they found it inside a, a meteorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay how did it get inside there right well the story if you read it closely enough it tells you how it got inside of there right even though the story is incomplete um you still get a sense of how it got in there and what it means and all that um who is reading this story uh is framed i think and we we can extract that so i just want to read that one page that opens the novel sure as the captain looked up So, we've got a captain. The hooded desk lamp threw his face into ridges of darkness and craggy highlights. A port stood open to alien summer night. Oh, interesting. Well, he said, right? We're all on board. I've got it translated, sir, answered the Mm (laughs) socio-technician. Okay, we're in a science fiction universe. Had to extrapolate backward from modern languages, which is what took me so long. In the course of the work... Though I've learned enough so I can talk to these creatures, these dot 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 creatures. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good, grunted the captain. Now maybe we can discover what this is all about. Thunder and blow up. I expect to come across almost anything out here, but this. I know how you feel, sir. Even with all the physical evidence right before my eyes, I found it hard to believe the original account. Very well, I'll read it at once. <laughs> so that's us. No rest for the wicked, the captain... So it's already got the comedy built into it, right? No Uh rest for the wicked. The captain nodded dismissal, and the sociotech departed the cabin. For a moment, the captain sat motionless, looking at the document, but not really seeing it. The book itself had been impressively ancient. Uh, Unshills of... Unicles. Unicles. Uh, It's U-N-C-I-A-L. Uncles? Unicles? Okay. Unicels, yeah. It's a, Unicels, it's a, it's a t- okay. typing terms. Oh, okay. Unicels of vellum between massive covers. The, and that's on the opening of the movie as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, The t- opening title is a book that says, The High Crusade. The book itself had been impressively ancient. Unicles on vellum between massive covers. The translation was a prosaic typescript. Yet he had was nearly afraid to turn the pages, afraid what he might find out. <laughs> that's us. Right, There had been some stupendous catastrophe more than a thousand years ago. Its consequences were still echoing. The captain felt very small and alone. Home was a long way off. However, he began to read. And then we don't find out who this guy is until the end, right? Right. Yeah. And then, uh, like, I had no idea what that, what, who, the, who was the, that was. Like, aliens, like, where are they? Um, so you got this mystery that's wrapped up only at the end, and it's like, oh, that's pretty cute, right? And it is, it, it is totally that setup of, uh, you know, human. They did well, right? The the High Crusade is a thousand years ago, 
but vampire's still there, or at least the uh, what what it is now. It's still there. It's expanding and growing because they talk about, oh, yeah, we're, this is the backwater now. We've all expanded towards the core where there are more suns. Right. It's just like, hey, I'm imagining this huge, giant English empire that's like stretching down the spiral arm. And yeah, now what was once ascent to the worst curse empire is now just the backwater. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the dregs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and Earth yeah, is just so coming says, up across uh, it. Right, a thousand years, so we're at about what twenty three hundred. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And and the and the then the the question near the end, right, is has the Holy Land yet been liberated? Oh my God! Yeah, I just laughed out loud. It's like good citizen of the New Israel Empire said, "Why, yes!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my God. It's mm. a funny, funny book. Of course, that Earth is not, is not united. There's still countries and kingdoms on Earth. They're not just one, one uh, nation under Earth because you know, unless Israel conquered the entire world, but I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. What I what I think is so great is this book can't really age, can it? Right. It's it's. <laughs> it, the only thing it ages is that the the alien technology of that ship feels very fifties. Like I, oh yeah, this building is so. down. But we but really the, don't. We really don't get to see it from a from a clear point of view either, right? right. The, the lock bar is down, but that's just a tiny bit. Otherwise, it's just English using all this technology and their own 14th century stuff against aliens, right. and so their, it's, uh, it their navigator is called an astrologer. <laughs> At the end, yeah. yes, it's like no astrologer's going to touch my ship. Like <laughs> that's oh, good well, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah, I, um, you know I, I had an experience recently where um, mm-hmm. uh, Flannery O'Connor. It, we did a podcast on Flannery right. O'Connor, but there's a story called "The Enduring Chill," mm-hmm. and um, Stephen Colbert read it aloud for NPR. Mm-hmm. And after that podcast, I got to hear that, and it completely changed my perception of the story. Huh. so uh, I think that you know, looking at this one here. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have uh, someone with a comedic uh, uh, sort of a background read it? Yeah, you know, like it, somebody it like John be. Cleese or somebody. If if they were to read this novel, I think that uh, it could be really really funny and even more entertaining. Absolutely, they could be have uh, the right here. Yeah, we got yeah. to hear the uh, the book for the blind version that was released in the eighties. Um, mm-hmm. I think the narrator there was very competent um pretty you know it's a noisy recording but uh totally listenable unfortunately it's not available really to anybody without massive archives like myself awesome um, <laughs> but uh, i so it means it's available right i wonder uh i'm sure it's not public domain it's not it's not yeah. there's uh, there's uh unfortunately there's no uh version on audible i don't think there's I'm fairly confident there's never been a commercial release. Most most of Paul Anderson's stuff is not out. There's 32 titles listed, and a lot of them are the sh- just the short stories that were in the public domain. Um, I think uh, The Broken Sword was released with Bronson Pinchot uh, reading it, and then there's you know a few collections that include um, his stuff and a few novelettes, but there's no there's uh, maybe uh, just a handful of novels that have been released. Brainwaves been released. Tau Zero, 
but this guy wrote a ton and yeah uh, oh yeah and obviously not everything's out given that high crusade is not available right and why so why we not need to, we need to talk book. to some people for a, a great audio version of this absolutely it needs to be done three hearts and three lions uh is available that's another uh, uh bronson pinchot read one uh who's read that is that paul I've ever I've, I've read it. I haven't heard heard the audiobook, but yeah, I read that back in my giant Paul Anderson phase. That's about a World War Two Dutch, Dem, uh, or it might have been a Denmark soldier who winds up getting transported to a fantasy realm and finding out he's really somebody he didn't think he was, and dealing with elves and trolls and all sorts of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a big. Uh, he, he did a lot of Icelandic myths as well, right? Sort of. Yeah, he did Icelandic, Scandinavian. That was that was really his bag. There's Northern a really European sort of. Uh, um, yep. There's mythology. A, there's a dark story. It's not. Uh, it's not mythology. Um, you guys have read Less Darkness Fall by now, right? Yes. Uh-huh. I Th- think so, but that was a long time. Yeah, that, that's that's the camp story where a guy gets transported back to sixth century Rome and starts inventing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Paul Anderson, as a reaction, wrote a story called The Man Who Came Early about an uh, American soldier who gets transported back to Dark Ages Iceland and everything goes badly wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just, it's like that dark humor and it does not end well. I was like, oh, you just threw Shane on Slow's right to camp, you bastard. <laughs> wow. You know, one story that this made me think about that is similar only in. Uh, Timing and that there were aliens is Eiffelheim by Michael Flynn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, which is a you know it's not it's not a, a funny novel <laughs> by any means, um, but it's about in the I think it was the 14th century, um, sort of around the Black Death time, uh, aliens landing, and um, it's sort of the novel I remember is split into two pieces. There's one in current time where. People are doing an archaeological dig at this town that seems to have disappeared. Um, you know, all the residents disappeared in a very short amount of time. And then uh, a timeline in the past where there's a priest and um, these aliens and they're making contact and all that. And I think the aliens crash landed, if I remember mm-hmm. correct. So, But that was a very good book. I liked it. That was available on audio. I don't know if it's Yeah, nice. it is. It is, yeah. Oh, okay. So, but I think um, I reviewed it. The other thing I like about Paul Anderson's novels uh, is everything's short. <laughs> like this one was like six hours, something like that. Five hour, five, five. Yeah, six, it was 180 pages. Yeah, yeah very, very slim volume. Um, three Hearts, Three Lines is seven hours. Brainwave is six hours, right? This is back when you could have a big, impressive story inside a very few number of pages. It's not as big a commitment, um, and yet you still it packs a punch. I think even bigger generally, uh, like that. I, yeah, I noticed I, I like, later yeah, books I, in the series from him, like Harvest of Stars, eighteen hours forty seven minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I, I was just gonna say, you know, it, it's it's a little more than even commitment. It's like um, these science fiction writers in the seventies, sixties um, and seventies, you know, except for the new wave. Um, they were doing something different. You know, this was idea exploration, really. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, um, that's what they were doing. And, you know, 180 pages is perfectly sufficient for that. Totally. Yeah. Broken Sword is eight and a half hours. And that's, you know, a classic, right? 
Right. Although, if we ever do it for the podcast, I'm going to wind up crying again. But oh. no. <laughs> I, I cried when I read that. And if you ever read it, you'll know why. I haven't read it, but I want to read it. Yeah. We could do we we could do that if you yeah. find the yeah we I I'd be up for that again I, I could good. use a a, a good cry catharsis <laughs> yeah it, no no it's it's catharsis like oh man uh, I'm, I'm trying not to spoil the book <laughs> by speaking very well very we know good. we know he's a sad he he always has sad That's endings right. generally right yeah and, and this novel actually kind of almost uh, what's the word I'm looking for it did this novel kind of fakes us out because at the beginning we talk about these creatures mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then as we're going through and then and we talk and you talk about the uh the the um oh, Wayne, uh treachery you 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 can see him setting up like oh yeah the englishman got wiped out mm-hmm. and and have lost and the worst just have taken on their their stuff that's what he's almost kind of like fit, head faking for like Oh, okay. So the Englishman lost, but the Westerners took their civilization and became English. That's why you talked about creatures at the beginning. That's why. But this is going to end badly for our heroes. It does not. It so also he like, does the same thing in Quest as well, right? Where he's got the alien priest. Uh, in Quest, there's a a priest who's. I'm I'm not wrong about this, am I? There's a a priest who is got double jointed knees. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. So he, we think, oh, he's going to be the traitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, he's more faithful than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> to the to the the Pope, uh, who's probably an alien now by. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in the space empire that is uh, <laughs> New England or whatever it's called. Um. They. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there a planet named Lancaster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they start they, they start I'm naming sure. plants after English stuff. It's, right, and then kind of... uh, what I liked is uh, the other line was that there was hardly a man uh, or you know a peon or a peasant who hadn't been knighted by the end of the <laughs> campaign, mm-hmm. right? So that everybody ends up with their own fief somewhere, just because that's yeah. like how um, Alexander, right? He starts off on uh, in in the west and heads east, and as he goes. You know, <laughs> More of more of the lands get assigned like sort of regional governors who end up being you know founding dynasties that that yep. uh, last the Seleucids, the Macedonians, the Ptolemies, yeah, thousand years or whatever ridiculous ridiculous sort of just beginnings you know some guy who wants who you know he's got hay still stuck in his hair and he gets on a spaceship pulling a sheep um, ends up a knight with a fief on a planet. <laughs> very strange very funny yeah um the, the, no, we haven't oops go ahead no i was just saying that's the this is the promise that uh all series novels always offer right now is oh, we get all of that in this one book all the adventures <laughs> happen right. between the between the the page turns right right yeah uh, yeah i liked it we we haven't talked too much about uh, some of Sir Roger's cunning and, and some of the things that actually come up mm-hmm. during that. Um, like Paul Anderson talks about the Wurzgorix. I have this highlighted. Um, I'll just read this paragraph. The Wurzgorix had no special affection for their birthplace. They acknowledged no immediate ties of kinship or duty. 
As a result, each individual had no one to stand between him and the all-powerful central government. In -hmm. England, when King John grew overweening, he clashed both with ancient law and with vested local interests. So the barons curbed him and thereby wrote another word or two of liberty for Mm -hmm. all Englishmen. The Wurzgore were a lickspittle race, unable to protest any arbitrary decree of a superior. Promotion according to merit meant only promotion according to one's usefulness to imperial ministers. Mm. You know, so that's great. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Yeah. And, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's the rule of law versus the rule that. of yep. the word, right? Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And, it, and then, it, it's um, powerful. It, it is a motivator. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. Don't you wish you had a plan? I interrupted in my most Christianly sweet voice. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah. And then um, just, you know, what, what Sir Roger does, you know, uh, let's see, I doubted he had more than just enough supplies for siege craft must be a lost art in this country. So first I showed him I could lay his whole planet waste, which he'd have to answer for, even if we were conquered in the end. Then I gave him all those extra mouths to feed. When he released all the prisoners back to him, right? Yep. He slapped my back, which <laughs> he slapped my back. When I had been picked up and dusted off, he said, Parvis, <laughs> now that we own this world, would you like to head its first abbey? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, he and then he ended up talking so to the Jairs, right? He talks to the Jairs and these other, these other uh, races. Um, it says the Jairs... Uh, like the other free nations were no simpletons. They invited us to land and be guests on their planet. Um, let's see. Uh, by now, the military intelligence of Boda knew what was going on. They could certainly not allow, and then here's an unpronounceable word, uh, of two alien races, to reap so rich a harvest while their planet remained insignificant. Accordingly, they recommended that the Jairs also join the alliance. Thus urged... The parliament declared war on the Wurz Gorixen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah. So not only is he, he he's winning with cunning as well as, uh, um, you know, courage, I would courage, say. Courage and brute strength. Yeah. No, right. no. Yep. Who, become, who became the Pope? Who became the Pope? Yeah. I don't think we actually get to. Well, we, no, we don't. We don't actually see that in Quest. Yeah. In Quest, it basically says, okay, well, after enough time passed, they kind of set up a um, a pseudo-pope, or yeah, what did, I can't remember yeah, exactly uh, what they called yeah, it. They, I think they called they him a little pope. pope still exists, yeah. but they can't find him. So right. they so set up a person, a, but they didn't call him the pope. Well, well no, sure. see, they started off calling him our pope or the little pope, yeah, and so then they said, but uh, the younger people are mm-hmm. not careful. <laughs> so right, they and they just, just call him the Pope, right? And the same, yeah, the same thing for, yeah, for the for uh, Roger's dynasty that that basically yeah he becomes a king even though he's really right. Uh, he's so a vassal to what Edward. I think I think it might be Parvis, and the reason is it, it's just funny because he's that's his name, right? Parvis means little, right? Oh, that's and, true. That's and, true. And, that's oh, a good I thought. didn't think of that. Right? And, yeah, Parvis means little. Yeah, and because. He says, you know, I'm just a modest guy. Um, uh, this was the, my nickname when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And so when I, I needed to remind myself, uh, I took my brotherly name. I, I didn't make that connection. I, I think yeah. that it, it, it just, it's another sort of like, can we trust this document? <laughs> um, this 
because it's a thousand years ago, right? Um, mm. And I think the answer is, of course, we have to trust it 100% because it's cuter that way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah the incredibly cute novel, incredibly uh, fun listen. And uh, yeah. I can't, I yeah. can't, um, I can't uh, understand why it lost to anything in a, uh, an award. What, what well, one instead? Uh, Canticle, Canticle for Leibowitz. Yeah. See, another religious novel that I. Yeah, isn't that I, interesting? Isn't I, that interesting? Yeah. I didn't what year read was that. that? I, I couldn't read that one. I didn't like Canticle, Canticle for Leibowitz. I, I, I liked Canticle for Leibowitz. Um, it, I can't, it, it seemed to me that it was in three parts, and the first part was really excellent. And I then I remember I feeling less, less about each part as it went on. Um, it's been a while since I've read it, though, but I really like it. It had a different kind of humor it. completely. It was like, um, it just didn't, the humor didn't do it for me. And that it was a humorous book, too. It was supposed to be, uh-huh. right? It had, it had a very dry, very dry humor. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to look. Uh, yeah, I want to look this up. Hugo Awards, um, what was it, 1961? Yeah, probably. The site. Let me look for. I want to see what other what else was nominated. So do I. Let's see. Past by year. Because I, I would I can see why you know if you're going for the for the uh, Waitie novel. Yeah, me too. Okay, go ahead. I've okay, got it in front so, of me too. Okay, so the best novel nominees for 1961 were A Canticle for Libra. What's the winner? Um, the High Crusade, Rogue Moon by Aldous Burgess. Death World by Harry Harrison and Venus Plus X by Theodore Sturgeon. That's wow, that's a, good book. that's a that, nice that, list of novels right there. <laughs> that is a nice list of and, and very old, very deep. I mean, the High Crusade and Canticle have that religious thing, but otherwise, that's a very wide, broad like. That's like what do these things have in common? There are science fiction, and that's about all you can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are people I would hand this novel to that I would not hand Venus Plus X to in a million years. Mm. Yeah. So. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah, Anderson, yeah, it looks like he won short fiction that year with The Longest Voyage. Paul yeah. Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've got that on audio. That's a rare rare volume in audio. Yeah, I've got that in a tour double. Yeah, oh, right, that's right, 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 right. That's that's right. I've read that one. That's the one where they circumnavigate the planet. Right. Hmm. I got right. it paired with a Mar- um, to Mary Medusa, I think is the other one. That's a strange pairing. Why yeah, would you? Why would they pair those two? Not because it's uh, a I mean, collection of Paul Anderson. <laughs> I, I know, but it's just like if you're going thematic, the longest voyage is on. That's they're circumnavigating this globe on this alien planet and coming across. Uh, because because the, the silent civilizations. Oh yeah, we have prophet that fell from the stars. Yeah, but it's kind of one kind of reminds me of um, Far Seer by Robert Sawyer or Robert J Sawyer. If you guys, do you know that book? Uh, Farseer, yeah, Farseer. I don't realize right. Sawyer. That's no. like on a, a planet of an alien race. It's kind of he's retelling history from. Yeah, it's actually America, really it's clever. I didn't America. read the second World and third because I don't do series very much. But the uh, the premise of that one is is uh, he loves dinosaurs, so mm-hmm. <laughs> they're basically mini Tyrannosaurus rexes. I guess there was a thing in the eighties or early 90s about uh, sort of baby Tyrannosaurus Rexes. So he's got these intelligent Tyrannosaurus Rexes with slightly longer arms. Um, they have their society and of course they're quasi-reptiles so it's a different kind of society but the main character is uh, basically he's Galileo 
and uh, he's got this amazing piece of technology that allows him to do other things. It's what he calls his far seer, other words, uh, otherwise known as a telescope. <laughs> and uh, he makes a whole bunch of discoveries about his planet, which turns out not to be a planet. <laughs> right. So, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, I, I see the connection between uh, the longest voyage and um, and this uh, or the far seer, and it, it it's it. I think I don't I can't guarantee it, but I think that. Um, Paul Anderson must have been inspired by by Mark Twain's uh, novel, too. Wow. And yeah. uh, I think I think what happens is people read the genre, then become writers, and then they do their own spin on it and make marvelous wonders out of out of those clever ideas they're building upon. Because um, Longest Voyage is a great story for building upon, and it has been built upon connecticut yankee great story to build on not very many people can do it but if you're if you're paul anderson you can this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com Hey guys, yeah. So I, I I know we're done. Uh, you know, in that 1961 Hugo Award list, Paul. Yeah. At the very end, there it says best fanzine. The winner was something called Who Killed Science Fiction. <laughs> oh God. And I just looked that up. I was looking that up. I was like, no way. And I was looking that up, and apparently, um, do you know about this? Because I didn't. Um, I I've heard of it, but I've never. Actually okay, so it. Who Killed Science Fiction by Earl Kemp. It says, in 1960, 34 years after the launch of Amazing Stories, uh, Earl Kemp, who was a fan, mailed a set of questions to 108 SF writers, uh, editors, artists, and fans. 71 responded. And the questions were, do you feel that magazine science fiction is dead? Do you feel that any single person action incident is responsible for the present situation? (laughs) Uh, What can we do to correct it? Hmm. Uh, should we look to the original paperback as a point of salvation? Huh. It's just hilarious because, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're there's lots of fighting going on right now, and it looks like it's been uh, there all the time.